right, thank you, thank you. While you're settling into your chair, find 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know that we've been on a journey through the book 1 Corinthians for the past several months. We find ourselves today chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 17. We'll read through the conclusion of this passage or this chapter. So uh, verse 17 is our starting place. We'll conclude in verse number 34. Are you there? Got to run. Catch up to me. We got a long way to go. Short time to get there. Somebody ought to write a song about that, huh? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I knew all you heathen would start singing it before long. <laughs> Never heard it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all right. Verse number 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to that church down in Corinth. But in giving you this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for better but for worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each of you takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whosoever or whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I'll arrange when I come. Now, how many of you study your Bible with some type of... of, of marker in your hand. Let me see. Yeah? Uh, how many of you study the Bible with a highlighter? Let me... Well, quit that. <laughs> Get you a pen, because here's what I find when folk highlight. Uh, when I look at, at folks who use highlighters to study the Bible, and don't get me wrong, if, you, if that's the way you study the Bible, please study the Bible that way. But here's a tendency with a highlighter. It's to highlight way too much so that nothing stands out. Yeah, Alicia... Uh, uh, Alicia... Uh, Alicia <laughs> Alyssa, you said it. 
you know, a lot of times a highlighter will we'll highlight the entire page. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to put down your shotgun and pick up a rifle. Okay? Your shotgun is your highlighter. That's right, Miss Maravine. Your rifle is a pen or a pencil. So take a pen and pencil and let's walk through this text. And let me point out a few things for you. And you understand, if we were in a, a seminary classroom, I would just put this out there for you and let you come to your own conclusions. But since we're not in a seminary classroom, I'm going to point it out and give you the conclusions too, all right? So here we go. Check this out. Uh, again, I'm going to do this kind of in order in, uh, of importance. So underline a few words here. You see in verse number 19, you see the word must. Underline that word must. And then in verse number 28, you see the word must. Underline it again in verse number 28. And then I want you to find the word praise in verse number 17. Underline it there. Then I want you to underline it in verse 22 one time and in verse 22 again. So there are two occurrences in verse number 22. Then I want you to follow down with me to verse number 24. You see the word body? Underline it right there. Then in verse number 27, underline the word body. And then in verse number 29, underline the word body. Now in verse number 31... Oh, I told y'all I had to run today. <laughs> I'm running. All right, here we go. Verse number 29. Underline the word judgment and the word judge. Yeah, Heather says, ah, give my highlighter. I'm just going to highlight the whole page. <laughs> judgment and judge, verse number 29. Verse number 31, judged and judged, verse number 32, judged, and then in verse number 34, judgment. Alright, now here's the most important of all. You ready? Verse number 17, you come together, underline that phrase, you come together. Verse number 18, underline the phrase, you come together. Verse number 20, underline this phrase. You meet together. Y'all are catching on. Alright, uh, now verse number 33. You come together. Verse number 34. You will not come together. Alright? So now you know anytime we read a passage that has a preponderance or a repetition of the same words, we've got to pay attention to that because that's kind of a no-brainer. That's a low hanger over the outside of the plate that we ought to be able to interpretively land in the bleacher seats behind the left, left field fence. So check this out. Notice what Paul does, especially in this phrase, when you come together. Remember we said last week that from chapter 10 to chapter 11, Paul made a transition from our private lives to our public life. So he's talking about here, this phrase highlights that when you come together, he's talking about the public worship services of the local church in Corinth. So again, his theme here, what he's dealing with, is how we should act, what 
we should do when we are in a public worship service. So I want to take all of this today and put it down in a nutshell and speak to you on this particular subject. When the church is the church. Because you do know this by now, don't you? You know just because a building, uh, maybe a, a red brick building with white columns in the front that has a steeple on top of it, just because they have a sign out, out front that says such and such church, you know that may not be true. Uh, there's a friend of mine, I have a rather scholarly friend that has pastored a traditional Baptist church uh, in one place for a long time, rather large church, and he was preaching through the book of Acts not long ago, and he called me, and I could tell when he called me, he was upset about something. He was bothered. So I said, tell me what's going on. He said, well, you know, I'm preaching through the book of Acts. And he said, it dawned on me this Sunday while I was in the pulpit that the church I'm preaching about in the book of Acts is far from the church that I'm preaching to on Sunday morning. And I thought, boy, you're starting to get there because that's exactly right. I wonder sometime if the Apostle Paul was able to plop down in some of our worship services and some of our churches on Sunday morning if he would even recognize it. And you see, I think he expresses his shock right here in the Corinthian church when he says in verse number 22, What? And I think if Paul were to come to some of the worship services today that take place in the United States of America, he'd say the same thing. He'd say, What? And he would begin to fire off a letter. Uh, somebody, somebody sent me a text the other day that said, If the Apostle Paul were alive today we would surely get a letter. <laughs> and, and I think they're right. We would get a letter. So I think in this passage what Paul is doing is he's kind of setting some boundaries. He's tightening things up. So let's look at this subject when the church is the church. And the Lord's Supper, you see, is, is at the heart of this text, but this passage is really not focusing on the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is just a precipitating event around which all of this stuff was proliferating and Paul uses it in order to teach them how the church should look and when the church is the church. So number one, check it out with me in verses 17 through 22. I think we can say the church is the church when we make, when we make spiritual progress. Look with me in verse number 17. Paul says it like this. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because when you come together, there's our word, when you meet together as a church, when y'all assemble on any given Sunday morning, look what he says. He says, you come together not for better, but for worse. Now just let that fall on your spiritual ears for a little while. Is it possible for a church to come together and it would have been better had they not had worship service at all that day? You see, that's what Paul is saying. So rather than focus on the negative in this text, let me turn it around and put a positive spin on it. Here's how you know the church is being the church. It's when we come together, we make spiritual progress. We come together for better and not for worse. So let me ask you a question. When you come to Grace Church on Sunday morning, do you leave in a better condition than when you left? And you see, that's the goal. That's why we should be a better people today. We should be better this Sunday than we were last Sunday because we've had one more meeting where we've come together. Am I right? And you see, that's what Paul is saying here. Now guys, it's not like that a lot of times. Hey, listen to me. Listen. Y'all know, 
Y'all, Cliff talked in Sunday school about how Pastor Richie's not a mushy guy. I'm not. You know that. I'm not touchy-feely. Uh, my wife has all the mercy in our house, so if you're needing some mercy, please see Heather Allen. Uh, Richie, Pastor Richie's probably going to say, well, that's your own fault, you idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's usually where I live. <laughs> so anyhow... You know that Heather and I came home from the mission field in 2016 because we were invited to teach missions at Baptist College of Florida. So we came home having a time of our life doing that, but guess what? We came from a hot spiritual culture into a very cold spiritual climate in Dothan, Alabama. And we struggled trying to fit into a local church. And one Sunday I went to church, Heather and I went to church, and I want to tell you, it hurt me so bad It hurt me so bad until I came home, left Heather in our house, and I went out into our barn. And I sprawled out on the concrete floor in our barn, and I cried so hard until I gave myself a headache. Now, I didn't know crying would give you a headache. How many of you did know that? (laughs) It does. I didn't know that because I'd never done it. The next day, I thought, dear God, what's wrong with my head? It's because you've been crying. I got off the floor after crying profusely before God and I came into the house and I told Heather, I said, Heather, I can't do this anymore. If going to church is going to hurt me this bad, then it's not spiritually healthy for me to go to church anymore and I'm out. Done. I said, we'll go back to the mission field. We'll get along just fine in the jungle of Brazil planting churches and starting churches, but I can't take this U.S. church scene anymore. I'm out. Before the end of that semester, teaching at the college, one of my students said, Hey, Dr. Allen, why don't you come try a brand new church that's just been launched in Bonifay, Florida? I've already got Brazil back in my mind again. I don't want anything to do with churches in the U.S. I've had enough in a year and a half. I've been hurt enough. And what I don't need is one more heartache. But I did. And I came to Grace Church. And can I say to you that God did that in my life in order to prepare me for Grace Church? Now, let me just ask you a question. Have any of you come to Grace Church from that background? You've just been hurt, and by golly, I ain't doing it no more. Huh? I find that's a common denominator here, that we just can't do it anymore. And can I say to you as pastor of Grace Church, may God strike us dead before we become one of those churches. Huh? I mean, we're not in the hurting business. We ought to be in the helping business and the healing business. And, and when the church is the church, listen to me, Paul says you don't come together for worse. You don't leave, you don't leave mad and angry. You don't leave hurt and crying, you come and you leave having made spiritual progress in your walk with Christ. Now boys and girls, listen to me. If we ever decide we want to start fighting one another, we can, you can fight by yourself because i got a place to go. i still got a house in the jungle of Brazil. You know what I'm saying? We are not going down that road. And I thank the good God of heaven that grace has been a healing place. I I tell John Wilson all the time, John Wilson rescued me when I was a stray dog. Because I was. I mean, I I was on the streets, headed back to the northeast of South America, and Grace Church has rescued me. And I'll tell you something, it's refreshing. 
So let me just say to you, if you're in that position where Pastor Richie was, because it's not just church members that gets hurt, it's pastors as well. And there's something wrong in that scenario. And Paul is talking to a church that was doing just that. There were members there getting hurt. And Paul says, I don't praise you because when you come together, it's not for better, but it's for worse. And boy, I tell you, I'm trying to tone this down because I'm all about progress. You know what I mean? I mean, if I'm on a tractor for eight hours, I want to be able to look back in the end of the day, Jerry, and see eight hours worth of work behind me. No matter what I'm doing, I want to see progress. And it's the same way in the church. And sometimes progress in the church just ain't as fast as I want to see it take place. You know what I mean? I mean, I can plow for, for a day or two in Brazil and I can look behind me and see the tons of progress we made. But in the United States of America, progress is at a snail's pace. It just is. But nonetheless, Grace Church is making progress. Come on. Huh? Are we? We are making slow and steady progress, not just corporately, but individually. We're making a difference in this world. We're investing our resources right. We're putting our folk in the right position. And when it's all said and done, I want God to be able to look at us and say, Grace Church made a difference in my kingdom. Spiritual progress, that's what it's about. Hey, we don't have time to mess around with anything that's going to take us backwards, huh? I mean, if we want to go backwards, we wouldn't be here. We'd still be wherever we were getting hurt, right? So let's go forward. Now, notice what it is. Now, we got to run today, and I told Dr. John, I'm probably going to cut this off like a salami, but that's all right. There's a lot of meat in this passage. So check it out. I want you to see some things in here that ought to be better. That ought to be better because we come together. Oh, boy, grace groups, just get ready. Just get ready. Hey, here's the question I want us to ask in grace groups. Is Grace Church better because you're a part of it? What contribution are you making to the betterment of Grace Church? We ought to be able to answer that question because here's the dealio. God hasn't called any of us to come here and just be pew setters and be in neutral. He wants to, he's he's equipped, equipped us. He's gifted us. So Grace Church ought to be better every time somebody joins us, right? I mean, we're having a, a new members class start today. The, uh, Dr. John and, and, and uh, uh, Brother Cliff will be taking four folk who want to be a part of Grace and said, hey man, we like what's going on here. We want to be a part of it. We, we're going to be better because of those four people's presence. So check out some things that ought to be better. I think this text gets at several of them. Here's spiritual progress. How do you know we're making spiritual progress? Paul gives us a couple clues right here. Number one, we're making spiritual progress when leaders are developed. Now look what Paul does here. I I, I like the way he does this. The Apostle Paul had a sense of humor. And here's what he says in verse number 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. Now that was a joke. Did y'all get it? Because here's what Paul says. Paul says, when y'all come together, I hear that y'all are divided. And I dividedly believe it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's cool. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's some, uh, I guess just, uh, just us grammar nerds get that. But I, I laugh at things like that. Paul did have a sense of humor. Do you see that? And it comes across in English, you have divisions, and I, in part, I dividedly believe that that is true. So he's really poking fun at them here, but I think there's some spiritual truth. Now check out what it is that that Paul says next. 
in verse number number 19, he says, For there must... All right, let's stop right there. See that word I had you underlined? That's known in the original language as a divine imperative. A divine imperative. It means there is no other way under heaven. God has ordained that it must be this way. Uh, John is, the Gospel of John is filled with divine imperatives. Like when Jesus said the Son of Man must be lifted up. <laughs> you see the divine necessity in that? Here's another one. When Jesus said you must be born again. Do you see the divine necessity in that? And now he says here, Paul says, using the same divine imperative, look what he says in verse number, number 19. He says, there must also be factions among you. Now that sounds contradictory, does it not? Paul's chiding them for having divisions, but says there must be factions. Well, those are two different words. He's not saying y'all must be divided. Here's the word that he uses. He says, see that word faction? Does anybody have a different translation on that word? It says divisions too? Well, here, the first word is schism. We get our word scissors from it. There must be schisms among you. The second word that he uses is the word heresies. Heresies. And the root of that word means different options or another selection. And heresy came to mean a splinter off of what is true and orthodox and what is untrue. So Paul says, in the course of the church forming and coming together and making spiritual progress, there are going to be different opinions that come in and some of them are going to be heretical. And God allows that to take place. Why? Here we go. Look what he says in verse number 19. For there must divine, divine necessity be heresies among you so that... What is that, Cliff? Purpose clause. So that those who are approved may become evident. Now, now, now here's, here's, here's why it is. Those who, become, those who are approved of God. Now you can take that to mean that's the true church... And here in Corinth may have been the problem as there were just as many lost people gathered in that church as there were saved people. And Paul says, it's these type of forks in the road that's going to prove who it is that's walking with God and who is not. I think this is the way God sets forth leaders in the church because here's the deal. Anybody can pilot a ship in calm waters. But it takes a seasoned captain to steer the ship through a storm. See what I'm saying? So how does God approve leaders? How are leaders are developed? How do you know that you're a leader if you've never led through tough times in your life, tough times in the life of a church? So that's why Paul says there must be these things so those that who are approved are going to be are, are going to become evident. So here's one of the things that I look at as spiritual progress at Grace Church. Do you know that our future depends upon our ability to develop leaders today? We have no ministry if we have no ministry leaders. We have no missions if we have no mission leaders. It all hinges on leadership development. And guess what? If you're at Grace Church today, take your finger and point it right at you and say, I am a potential leader. And it's the church's job, it's our job collectively to disciple you, to grow you, to develop you, and you are one day a leader. And one of the things that thrills me is to see some of the leaders that are being developed at Grace Church. People who will tell me, if you'd have told me I'd have been doing this two years ago, I'd have laughed at you. That's good stuff. 
Because God's developing you and God's making you be a leader. That's spiritual progress. Check out number next. What, what, what is spiritual progress? Number one, I think Paul's saying that spiritual progress is when leaders are developed. Number two, spiritual progress is when light is seen. You see, this, this is when the church is the church. If the church is not developing any leaders, is it really the church? See, our job is to make disciples of all the nations, of everybody, develop leaders. But notice what else. When the church comes together, light is seen. Check out at the end of this phrase in verse 19. So that those who are approved may become evident. And you see, the, 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 the original language behind that phrase, may become evident, is used in the Gospels a lot. And it means something that is in the spiritual realm that suddenly comes to light in the physical realm. Here's how it's used. Do you remember when Jesus, or when the disciples after the crucifixion, when they were in the upper room and they were scared to death? They were huddled in that dark room wondering if the next knock on the door was going to be to come get them and crucify them as well. And the Bible says that Jesus appeared to them. Now you see what happened is Jesus didn't open the door. He just stepped through the wall. All of a sudden Jesus, who is light, became manifest and evident to them. Something in the spiritual realm, somebody in the spiritual realm stepped plainly into the physical realm and was clearly seen by everybody who had spiritual vision. Isn't that cool? And you see, that's what Paul is saying here. When he uses this word, may become evident, he's saying that the church is the church when light is seen. Now can I just ask you, have you ever been to Grace Church and had one of those aha moments? Oh, huh? That's what he's talking about. It's when it suddenly clears up for you. And Hey, look, it's not because we have good teachers or good preachers. It's because the Spirit of God suddenly made that step from the spiritual shadows into plain view and now you see it. You see, that's what takes place when I read my Bible. When I read this Bible, light is shown upon my life, is shed upon my life, and I can't tell you how many times... I leave church having an encounter with God in His Word and I say, so that's why that happened. Now I understand. Now I've got God perspective on my life. So that's the way that works. Now I see it. Boom. You see, that's what happens in a church that's making progress. Hey, if you can come to church and you never have a divine encounter with God through His Word where light is shed upon your life and upon the situation in which you're living, can we say that we are the church? And I would say, man, that would greatly bother me if that were the case. Check out number next. When we make spiritual progress, spiritual progress being defined here by Paul is when leaders are developed. Number two, when light is seen. And I think in verse 20 and 21, the heart of this is when lives are changed. Huh? You see, in a place where leaders are developed and where light is seen, where God's Word is preached, you just can't help but having lives changed. Now, it may not be all of a sudden where you go from being a member of the Hell's Angels one week to playing in a worship band the next. We're not talking about that type of drastic change. But we're talking about steady spiritual progress where you are made more into the image of Christ on a week-by-week, day-by-day basis. Hey, do you see spiritual progress in your life? 
Can you see spiritual progress in others who are part of the family with you? Man, it's one of the most encouraging things for me as a pastor to look and see folk making spiritual progress where lives are changed. Check out this, this scripture. Notice how Paul does it. He says, therefore, when you meet together, you might be coming and eating something, but make no mistake about it, it's not the Lord's Supper. And why? Because in your eating, look here, everyone takes his own supper first. You might want to underline that word first. See, these folk hadn't been changed. They were still selfish. All they were concerned about was getting theirs, getting what's mine. Hey, do you know anybody that looks for a church that way? Hey, what's in it for me? What do y'all have to offer me? And can I say, what we have to offer you is for you to come and sit and have your life changed so that you don't put yourself in first place. That's that's what we have to offer to to, to help you move from a self-centered life to an other-centered and Christ-centered life. So Paul is talking about changed lives in a local church where it's not just about me eating first. And by the way, have you picked up in this text that whatever they were doing is vastly different from what we're going to do at the end of our service? There was something else going on where they were coming and taking a full meal, right? Because I challenge you to try to get full on that little cracker that's in there, huh? (laughs) Hey, even if that was real wine... I challenge you to try to get drunk on this NyQuil cup. Huh? There's only one person here to get drunk on that, and that's my wife. <laughs> she can have migraine headache, cut a baby aspirin in half, and take it and knocks her out. <laughs> I can take whatever. I mean, stuff don't affect me. I, last time I had minor surgery, they couldn't get the anesthesia to have an effect on me. I'm, I'm just like an elephant. It's a good thing I don't drink because I'd be broke. I'd have to buy that whole liquor store up there to get a buzz. I mean, it just, just don't work on me. I think, that's God, I think that's God's mercy. But you see, you see, Lord have mercy. That, let me get back to something spiritual here. How would I get off? Heather, it was your fault. It was your fault. You got me off on that thing. Dr. John had to do some work on me the other day, and he said, you want laughing gas? I said, is it going to hurt? He said, no. I said, well, heck yeah, I want laughing gas. <laughs> I sucked his bottle dry and got up and drove home. He said, how you feel? I said, what was in there, oxygen? <laughs> Stuff just don't affect me. I don't know why. That's a good thing, I guess, huh? <laughs> Thank you, Alyssa. <laughs> where was I? Somebody lead me back to where I was. Hey, there were lives changed, right? And look, these people, these people were not exhibiting changed lives and that's why Paul says, Paul expected that. That's part of the what? What? Y'all are still trying to butt in at the first of the line uh, like a bunch of kids at the dinner table cutting one another in the lunchroom trying to get up there to make sure they got theirs before all the banana pudding got taken. I mean, that's, that's what we see going on here. And Paul says that's not indicative of people who've had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. Number next, the church is making spiritual progress when leaders are developed, when light is seen, when lives are changed, and when love is displayed. Verse number 22, Paul says, Do you not have houses in which you can do this, or do you despise the church of God? Whoa! 
He's saying this type of action indicates that you don't love the church at all. As a matter of fact, it indicates that you despise the church. Because see, what you're doing isn't building the church up. What you're doing is hurting people. Look what he says. He goes on next and says this. He says, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? See, here was a congregation where there was those who were extremely affluent and there were those who had nothing. And it was the extremely affluent who were coming together acting like babies, making sure they get theirs first. And then when the other folk, the have-nots show up, they have nothing to eat. And they go hungry. And Paul says, man, y'all need to turn that thing around. So here's the, the markers of spiritual progress that we find in this text. Leaders are developed. Light is seen. Lives are changed. Love is displayed. So when is the church the church? Well, the church is the church when we make spiritual progress. But number two in verses 23 through 26, the church is the church when the Lord has soul preeminence. Preeminence. Now what does preeminent mean? It means that He's the boss. It means that He calls the shots. I can remember back when I was a kid in Lausanne, Mississippi, we had an antenna sticking up above our house. We got three channels out of New Orleans, Louisiana. ABC, NBC, and CBS. Thank you, Perry. And I can remember I'd be sitting on the floor watching because I was the remote control. <laughs> Daddy was in the easy chair and I was the remote control. But we'd be sitting on the floor watching something and here, what, here a message would come on. All of a sudden the screen would go different and a news guy would fly, pop up and he'd say, this program has been temporarily preempted. And I didn't understand what preempted was, but after that, the President of the United States would come on and make an address. See, he has, he has the right to interrupt anything because he's the boss. If you're the President, you can inter interrupt any TV show you want to. Just cut in. And that's what this is saying about Christ. Christ has the... When the church is the church, listen, it's not about us. It's about Him. Now check this out. I want you to see His preeminence in this, in this text. And by the way, every one of these verbs in verses 23, 24, and 25, and in the original language, a verb just doesn't stand alone. It has the pronoun automatically built into it. So every one of these verbs has the, the third person masculine pronoun singular, which is he. So notice how Paul says this. Underline it every time it occurs. Look with me in verse number 23. The night in which he, underline it, was betrayed. You see that next word, took? It has the third person masculine singular attached to it. So it's he was betrayed. He took bread. Verse 24, when he had given thanks. Verse number 24, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this and remember it to me. My Lord, how many times did he give Christ preeminence in those two verses? Count them sometime when you get home. It's all about Him. So when Christ has preeminence in the local church, the church is being the church. Now, what takes place when Christ is having preeminence? I think, number one, His past actions are emphasized. Do you see that? There is an emphasis on what He has done. My goodness, we ought to write that in song lyrics as well. What he's done, what he's done. Huh? I know I'm high because I'm preaching right now. I'm not singing. This is my preaching voice, not my singing voice, Jane. Bear with me for a little while. <laughs> Y'all want me to go in falsetta? Huh? 
Yeah. <laughs> what he's done. And every one of those verbs emphasize what he's done. Now the question is, what has he done? And I think this text bears out two things. Number one, he justified you. Justified. Look what the word says right here in verse number 24. He says, this is my body which is, underline these two words, for you. For you. You know what that means? That's an ablative of benefit. It means that this was done for your benefit. This is done for your good. As a matter of fact, your ultimate good. Because there's no other name given under heaven, given among men by which you must be saved. And the only way we're saved is because one day he said, Yes, Father, I'll go to the cross for them. Not my will, but your will be done. And he died on that old rugged cross in my place and in your place. And the only way we can avoid the penalty for sin which we've inherited and for sin which we've committed is by golly because the cross stands between us and hell. No other way to be saved. This is for you. For you, for your benefit. But what else has he done? Not only are you justified, but this entire text tells us that not only did he justify us, but he unifies us. You see, because it's not God's will for a church to be divided with schisms. There may have to be factions, or may have to be heresies, in order that those who are approved may come to light. But it's not God's will for a church to be divided and to have cliques. And to have a group over here that looks down their nose at a group over there. Hey, I'm so glad I can preach about this in Grace Church today not having to worry whose feelings I'm hurting because we don't have that. Huh? And it's not God's will for us to be divided. Matter of fact, what He did on Calvary's cross not only justifies us, but by golly, it unifies us. And if it doesn't, we're not in step with what He did on Calvary's cross. When the church is the church, number one... We make spiritual progress. Number two, when the Lord has soul preeminence, that means His past actions will be emphasized. But notice the second thing. His future coming is publicized. Huh? Look with me in verse number 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Hey, you know He's coming again, huh? Wouldn't hurt my feelings if He interrupted. If He preempted this sermon right now, and said, we interrupt this sermon for the approach of the Lord Jesus Christ. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? That'd just be pretty cool. <laughs> How do we proclaim His death? We're going to do it in just a minute. John Wilson's going to come up here in a little while. He's going to lead us. And we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, which is at the heart of this text. And you know what he says this does? It proclaims, it publicizes the fact that this same Jesus who died on the cross and justified us and unified us, He's coming back again to get us. Take us that where he is we may be also. You know what I'm talking about? Man, good stuff. i got to hurry. Check out verses 27 through, 20, through 32. We may have to stop it right here. When is the church the church? When we make spiritual progress. When the Lord has soul preeminence. And then number three, when we avoid serious problems. When we avoid serious problems. I think here's where a lot of churches miss it. Because they don't know how to drive defensively. So they just plow right into the ditch. They never take their foot off the accelerator and run square into a tree. 
You know, driving is a lot defensive. It's knowing how to avoid that eight-point buck when he runs out in front of you, right? Uh, it just is. You're knowing how to avoid that guy or gal that's maybe had a little bit too much to drink. Whatever the situation is, it's defensive. Now check out what Paul says about avoiding problems. Verses 27 through 32. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, let me straighten something out right here. You see that? See the term in an unworthy manner? In the original language, that's an adverb. It refers to how the action is carried out, not who carries the action out. There's a lot of people who are a part of churches who have an overwhelming sense of unworthiness. And they won't partake of the Lord's Supper because they feel like they're unworthy. This is not what he's talking about. He's talking about the manner in which it's done, not your so much condition, because if, if people who are unworthy can't partake of the Lord's Supper, then guess what? Dr. John just come up and pray the benediction because they can't, ain't none of us worthy. We are only worthy because of what He's done. You see? But Paul's talking about how you do it. We're going to do it orderly. We're not going to do it where we come up here and knock each other down trying to get ours first. Uh, and that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the way, the manner in which we do it. It's an adverb, not an adjective. And most people misinterpret, therefore mis- misapply this. So check out. The serious problems that we avoid. In this verse, here's what he's talking about. He said, you avoid the serious problem of joining the wrong crowd. Because look what he says. He says, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. You know what he's saying? He's saying, when you act like that, he said, you are associating yourself more with those people who physically nailed him to the cross than you are associating yourself with those people who've been born again because His body was given for you. Shall be guilty of the blood and body. Association with the wrong crowd. Notice number next. What other serious problem of being judged by Christ? Look with me in verse number 29. Here's that word that's used over and over. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge or evaluate the body rightly. Now look here. Here's where where he uses the word body, soma, to apply to the church of Jesus Christ. In these other two instances, he's using it to refer to the physical body of Jesus Christ. So one reference is to the church being his body. To the other, it's his physical body. But look what he says. He says... The church is the church when she avoids the serious problem of being judged by Christ. For Look what he says. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he doesn't judge the body rightly. Now, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. So check this out. Notice what it is that, that Paul is saying here. He's saying we can avoid this serious problem of being judged by Christ. And... What is the implications of judgment here? Well, those who live under judgment cannot prosper. And this word judgment is kind of in the sense of discipline. And he says that. He straightens that out right here. He says, if we we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined, look here, by the Lord. A reference to Christ judging, disciplining us 
so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So we cannot prosper spiritually. We can't make spiritual progress if we are under the disciplining hand of Jesus. And here's my occurrence, my thought. So many times we're trying to we're trying to do something spiritual with people who are living under the judgment of Jesus. And how in the world can that happen? It just can't. So what he's saying here is evaluate ourselves so that evaluate our actions so that we're not judged by him. Now notice the implications of this judgment. If you are under the judgment of God, here's what you're facing. Number one, you cannot serve. You can't serve if you are under the judgment of God. Look how Paul brings it out. For this reason, many among you are weak. Weak, weak, weak. You know what I get sometimes when I'm working? Because here's my thing. I'm so wanting to get through until I, sometimes I won't even stop and eat lunch. And about 2 o'clock, Grant, it'll hit me. I get the low sugar shakes. And I can't do it anymore. You know why? Because I'm weak. I can't work anymore until I take something in because I'm just shaking. My bones feel like a wet wash rag, dish rag. I'm just done. I can't do anything else until I take something in. That's what Paul's saying here. Many of you, when you're living under the judgment of God, you're weak. You're weak. And we wonder why sometimes, why so many people say, no, I can't serve. Hey, the only reason you can't serve is if you're under the judgment of God and you've got hypoglycemia. Spiritually. See what I'm saying? It makes perfect sense to me. Why is it sometimes that in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work? Because maybe 80% of the people are living under the judgment of God. Huh? Watch me. Look here. Here are the implications of judgment. You cannot serve. And look what else he says. Many are sick. Now hear me right here. Jesus plainly denied the fact that all sickness is because of sin. You remember he told his disciples that when they asked the question. So every time you get sick, don't think that I'm in sin. But I'm telling you, sometimes it is because of that. Sometimes God judges us through some type of physical illness. And he does that for our own good. Check out number next. Not only, and and I love the way Paul does this. He says, look, look what he does. He says, many among you are weak and sick. But he says a number of you. Some translations say not a few. Some say just a few. But the number here is smaller than those who are weak and those who are sick. Maybe because the weakness and the sickness cause repentance. But look what he says. He says a number of you sleep. Now you know what that is. That's an apostolic euphemism for... You know these churches that have a big funeral, I mean a big uh, cemetery out behind them? Maybe they're burying their own, huh? I don't know. But it's always just been weird to me. But nonetheless, he says, this is why so many of you at First Baptist Corinth have died. Because God, the Lord Jesus, has judged you. Now look what he says here. This is tenuous because a lot of people use this to say, see here, you can lose your salvation. Because notice what Paul says. Actually, this is teaching you cannot. Look at the verse with me real quick and we're going to be done. If we are judged, uh, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that, what's that, Cliff? Purpose clause. So that we will not be condemned along with the world. This is not saying 
that if something doesn't happen, we'll lose our salvation and be judged. What this is saying is God will not allow you to be condemned. He will not. That's what His discipline is for. As a matter of fact, this verse teaches us that God will kill you dead before He lets you go that far. Isn't that what it teaches? Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, remember that guy that was sleeping with his father's wife? Paul said, turn him over to the devil so that the flesh may be destroyed. Why? So that his spirit may be what? I'm telling you, if you're under the judgment, the disciplining hand of the Lord, and you keep ignoring it, and keep ignoring it, and keep ignoring it, and your condition gets worse and worse and worse, and you are becoming a bad advertisement for the gospel of Jesus Christ, make no mistake about it, God will kill your honey graveyard dead. He will. It's a serious thing. Paul says, this is why many of you are weak and sick and even a number sleep. Golly, I've done past, past my time. I've got to cut this thing off because I've done preach more than I was supposed to. Sorry, folk. Hey, y'all know this is the world's number one bestseller for a reason? Did you know that? It is. The best-selling book in all of history because it's good. And it's good. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do just what this verse says. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And by golly, if any group can do it, this group can do it. So we're going to evaluate ourselves so that we're not judged of the Lord. Make sure we're doing it in a proper manner. And we're going to make spiritual progress and be blessed by it. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is rich. Thank you that it does feed our souls. Thank you that it does sustain us. Thank you, God, for speaking to us and shining light in our lives and upon our world through this book. And I pray for those who are here today that Lord, may need to make an adjustment to their life based on what you have said in your word. I pray for those who have never been born again. They've never received the benefits of this body that is for you. They've never been released from sin. Their chains have never been broken. They've never been born again. I pray, God, you would shed light upon their situation today and let them see that with faith and repentance, salvation can come to their house today. I pray for those who are here today that, God, you're calling to church membership to join this body and be a part of a body that wants to make spiritual progress and help them develop into the leader that God wants them to be. Lord, would you call them to yourself? I pray for those who are here today that just need to make an adjustment based on whatever it is that you've said. God, would you cause us today to respond to your word by faith for your honor and glory that you may have the preeminence in our lives as individuals and as a body of believers in Bonifay, Florida. Dr. John Wilson is up here on the front row.